Let me assure you of this. One of the things that I um, take very seriously as the lead pastor of this church is the responsibility for the, the presentation of the word. And it's the reason why we don't have a lot of ministry guests here. Uh, and, I, and I take very seriously when I stand before you and I uh, bring forth the word. I also take it very seriously when we have a ministry guest. And, uh, and I am I'm grateful for the people uh, in my life, the people that I've come to know in my journey uh, that bring a, a great uh, wealth of wisdom and what I believe is tr- a tremendous prophetic word to the body of Christ. And there are a, a few of those people in my life that I, I love the moments when I can have them come and share uh, with my church family. And today is, is one of those days. Uh, I am uh, so honored and pleased to have uh, Ron McManus here. Ron McManus is uh, a, a gentleman who's well known uh, throughout Christendom as just being uh, one of our exemplary leaders and uh, a man who every time he comes to a church uh, has a powerful word uh, from the Lord. And so, Ron, thank you so much um, for including us uh, in your ministry schedule. It is an honor to have you here this morning. Would you help me in welcoming uh, Ron McManus this morning? Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Well, good morning. What a joy it is to be in Orlando today. It's good to be anywhere today, but especially good to be here today. I'm just delighted to have the opportunity to be here at Calvary with you this morning, and your pastor and Jody are, are such choice servants of the Lord. I, I, don't, I know you know this, but I want to tell you, you have some of the greatest pastors uh, here at Calvary that are in the country today. One of the things that I'm involved in is working with pastors and churches around America is to, to try to replicate your pastor's abilities, leadership, as we uh, see churches make uh, major changes to go to the next level in ministry. And uh, he is one of those great leaders, and uh, so we're trying to replicate that, those gifts and talents that God has put in his life so we can help many other pastors be able to do the kind of things that uh, he's doing here and leading you at Calvary. No church has a future unless its dreams are bigger than its memories. Now, I go to churches all the time, and I, you know, I'll stop people out in the hallway, and I'll say, you know, I'm a guest here today. Tell me about your church. And they'll say things like, well, you know, we got a great church here, and God's been good to us, but boy, you should have been here back in the day. I remember when we used to have, and they start telling me all the stuff down, down memory lane. What are they telling me? Their memories are bigger than their dreams. How many know we don't need any more museums in Florida called churches? Some of you will get that by tomorrow morning. <laughs> but when I come to Calvary and stop somebody out in the hallway today and say, I'm a guest today, tell me about your church. They'll say, you know, we have a wonderful history here, and God's been good to us over the years, but we're so excited because we believe God has great things in store for this church, and we have plans. We're going to be expanding our ministry over here, and we're just starting this new area of ministry. You see, what, what are we saying here at Calvary? Our dreams are bigger than our memories. Hallelujah. Come on, give God praise. Come on. And so it's an honor for me to be here with you today. This morning, I want to talk with with you about possessing tomorrow. 
Can't do much about yesterday. It's over. And today's almost half over. But you can do something about tomorrow. You can do something about tomorrow. The Bible tells us, uh, the Scripture tells us, the New Testament writers tell us that the Old Testament story of the children of Israel was given to us as an example so we could learn from their mistakes. And we know about the nation of Israel. We've heard a lot of preaching and teaching about them. And I want to refresh your thought process today about a whole nation of people who missed their tomorrows. A new generation now under Joshua's leadership in Joshua chapter 3 is preparing to cross over to a new day. And here's what the Lord says, Joshua chapter 3, verse 12. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaretan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The parents of these folks died in the wilderness. They never saw this moment. They never saw the tomorrow God had planned for them. The tragedy of so many people who name the name of Jesus is they never see the promise of what God has for them. They never see what God has ultimately promised for their lives. When we look at the children of Israel, the Bible tells us about why a whole nation of people, millions of people, never saw their tomorrow. Here's two or three things that the Bible tells us. First of all, it says that they murmured and complained in the wilderness. You know, murmur, that's not even a creative word. It's the same word twice, murmur. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to be a complainer. They constantly whined and complained about their circumstances. They hardened their heart toward the things of God. How many know that that the things of God can become commonplace unless you keep your heart tender and soft before the Lord? And so they they whined and they griped and they complained about the the things that were going on in their lives. They, They let their heart become hardened to the things of God. Here's what the psalmist said about those folks. He said they limited the Holy One of Israel. I want you to get that this morning. The God who spoke the worlds into existence can be limited by you, by your willingness to allow him to do what he wants to do. They limited the Holy One of Israel. You know, you remember the 12 spies that went out to spy out the promised land and two guys came back and said, you know, we can do this. God is with us. What's the names of those two guys? Joshua and Caleb. I've got a grandson, uh, uh, his dad pastors a church plant down in South Florida. 
And uh, when he was born, they named him Caleb. And I thought, you know, when they named him Caleb, I thought, nobody has ever named one of their children after the other ten spies. <laughs> you don't even know the names of them, do you? Who cares? You know, here's my conclusion. If you're going to be negative, you'll be forgotten. So a whole nation of people missed their tomorrows. They missed what God had prepared for them because they limited God by their attitude. They limited God by the hardness of their heart. They limited God by by their ceaseless murmuring. And now a new generation comes to the forefront. A new generation now steps forth to possess the tomorrow God had ordained for them. And I believe that God has prepared Calvary for this very moment, a new day, a new opportunity to possess a tomorrow far beyond anything you've ever known in your past. Come on, somebody give God praise for that. So if we're going to possess the tomorrow God has for us, there are two or three things that, that I want you to here this morning. The first one is this. If you're going to possess tomorrow, you must have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective is the ability to see things the way God sees them. An eternal perspective means that you come to have come to understand that life is not about the stuff. I remember moving uh, Many, many years ago, uh, I've made a lot of moves in my lifetime, but we were moving from Atlanta, Georgia, back to North Carolina, and, uh, and I ran across a box in my garage. And on the side of the box was the moving and storage company's name, Art Scott Moving and Storage. Now, Art Scott moved me in 1974 from San Jose, California to Springfield, Missouri. That box was transported into seven different homes over the years in different states, and it's still there now in my garage, still taped up, never been opened. Does anybody want to know what was in that box? Stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you right now, you you need more room for your stuff because life is so much about the stuff, isn't it? But an eternal perspective means that I come to understand that the most real thing in this room is not this building. The most real thing in this room are not the seats you're sitting in. The most real thing in this room, the thing that will last forever, are the people seated in these seats. That's all that matters. That's all that matters when it's all said and done. I was scheduled several years ago for a routine hernia repair surgery. And you know how you go in the day before and they do all the blood work and get you ready for that outpatient procedure? I don't know about you, but when they cut on me, it's called surgery. So uh, they got all the blood work done, did a chest x-ray to make sure my lungs were clear for, for anesthesia and all this good stuff. And I went back to my office at the church and I'm working and I get a call from my doctor. And he said, uh, Pastor, when's the last time you had a chest x-ray? I said, well, I had a physical three months ago. He said, well, something serious is going on. I said, what do you mean? He said, that x-ray they did 
at the hospital this morning reveals you have a large mass in your chest. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. We've canceled your procedure for tomorrow. We've got to find out what's going on in your body. I had no symptoms of anything. The next day, scans. The next day, biopsies. One of the longest weeks of my life came to a Friday of that week when my doctor called me on the phone. He said, you'll have lymphoma cancer. We think it's about stage four because the, the cancer is throughout your body. You have two tumors in your chest the size of grapefruits. In about an hour, an oncologist is going to call you and talk to you about what you need to say to your church this Sunday because you're in for the fight of your life. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. When you get that phone call, life gets simple. Did you know in that moment it didn't matter what kind of car I drove? Did you know in that moment it didn't matter what kind of truck I had? In that moment, it didn't matter what kind of house I lived in. The only thing that mattered in that moment was my relationship to God, to my family, and my church family. That's all that mattered. You see, God can bottom line your life in one phone call. I stand here today, 20 years later, because Jesus still touches people and heals people. I'm still here to irritate people 20 years later. <laughs> because before this, this service is over, I want you mad or glad. I just don't want you indifferent any longer. An eternal perspective means that I see what really matters. I'm going to ask God to forgive you if any of you laid awake this last week worrying about your stuff. If you're going to worry about something, make it something eternal. If you're going to be concerned about something, make it something that lasts forever. You see, God doesn't mind you having stuff. He just doesn't want stuff having you. If you're going to possess what God has for your tomorrow, you've got to see through the eyes of the Spirit. You've got to see what really matters. You've got to understand what's important. And as pastor shared this morning, this, the car keys for a family, what it was saying is it's people that matter at Calvary. It's people that are important at Calvary. An eternal perspective. The second thing is, if you're going to possess tomorrow, not only must you have an eternal perspective, you've got to be willing to learn and grow. You know, I know people in their 20s that have stopped learning. Just need somebody to pull the dirt over them. And I know people in their 80s that are still learning and growing every day. It has nothing to do with your age. It has everything to do with what's going on between your ears. And I want to say to everybody in this room today, even those that have gray hair like me, God has still plans and purposes for your life. God has designs for your future. I said it's not over till it's over. You know, I, I hear this from sometimes at church people. Well, you know, I'm retiring from the church ministry. I put in my time over there. It's time for somebody else to do something at that church. 
I spoke to a group of seniors over at Myrtle Beach a couple of years ago. They won't have me back there, but uh, <laughs> I said, you know, as long as you have life and breath, there's still something to do for God. You, can't re you can retire from whatever company you work for. You can retire from doing dishes. You can retire from cooking, as the case is in many homes like mine. But I'm thinking we only need a refrigerator and a microwave. That's what we need. You know. Because here's the deal, folks. There's so much more God has. No one, no one in this room has reached your potential for God yet. I said nobody in this room has reached your potential yet. There's still more God has for you. There's still more God wants to teach you. There's still more God wants to show you. You have not figured it all out yet. There's still things that God wants to do in your life. And as long as you have life and as long as you have breath, there's something to do for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. If you're going to possess tomorrow, you've got to be willing to keep learning and growing. The tragedy of what happens in many, many churches is people stop learning. They get settled and satisfied where they are. And that's why I'm here to declare to you today, you haven't even begun to see what God has planned for this great church. Because, you know, the church is the sum total of us. You know, people used to talk to me about the church. Their pastor would come up to me and say, well, this church ought to be more friendly. I said, well, go ahead. I'm not the church. Well, this church ought to be doing more for missions. Well, go for it. You're it. This church can't get any better than the folks sitting in this room right now. Well, the good news is it can't get any worse either. So, you know. The good news is we are the church. The church is not a building, it's not seats, it's people. We are the church, and whatever we want the church to be, then that's what we ought to be doing. If you want to be more friendly, then be more friendly. You see, some people need to stop talking about themselves the way they do, because when you talk about the church, you're talking about you. <laughs> Never stop learning. God has more for you. You maybe sit here and say, well, you know, I don't need to come to those classes and groups and all those things that they offer because, I, you know, I'm, I've been saved for 50 years. I already know all that stuff. That's what one lady said to me. She said, you know, Pastor, I've been to the wilderness with Moses a thousand times. I already know all that stuff. I don't need to come to those classes. I said, honey, that's not the question. The question is not whether you know all that stuff. The question is, have you, are you living all that stuff? Because if you're not living it, you need to hear it again and again and again and again and again. Yeah, six of you got that one. All right, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to possess tomorrow, you've got to have an eternal perspective. Say it with me, eternal perspective. Secondly, you've got to be willing to grow. Be willing to grow. Say it. Be Thirdly, if you're going to possess tomorrow, you must, must listen to what God says. You must listen to what the Lord says. To that nation of Israel, the mamas and daddies who never possessed what God had for them, 
He had made some promises in Numbers chapter 10. And I want to refresh your memory today about those promises that the Lord made to his people. I believe he made them to that new generation in Joshua chapter 3. But I also believe he's made them to every one of us in this room today as we look toward our tomorrows. Here's what the Lord said to them. He said, now is the time to possess tomorrow. Can I say to you today, do not look out on the fields and not see the harvest. For the fields are widened to harvest. Now is the time. If you're ever going to do anything for God, do it now. You've been waiting for the, for the rest, right moment. You've been waiting for the right cir- circumstance. You've been waiting for, waiting for the right situation. I want to say to you today, now is the time to do what God called you to do. Everybody in this room has been gifted by God. You say, well, you don't know me. I don't have any gifts. Well, I don't know you, but I know God. And he didn't create people without gifts. So unless you evolve from a tadpole to a polywog to a frog, you've been gifted by God. Our responsibility is to just find out what we're supposed to be doing and do it for God's glory. Now is the time. Say it with me. Now is the time. Here's the second thing the Lord said to them in Numbers. He said, you're able to do what I called you to do. We are able. Say it. We are able. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am ready for anything. I am equal to anything through him who infuses his life in me. Let me hear, hear, hear it today declared from all of our minds and our hearts, we are able because God's Spirit dwells in us. His power is available to us today. We can do what he called us to do. We can be what he's called us to be. It's not possible for a a believer filled with the Spirit of God to say, I can't. You might not be able to, but God in you can. We are able to do what God's called us to do. Now is the time. Come on, say it. We are able. Here's the third thing the Lord said to them. He said, I delight in you. You're my children. You know, I grew up in the church. My daddy was a pastor for 55 years. I grew up in that uh, house right next to the church where they could watch us. That's how I grew up. And... My relationship to God was kind of a negative relationship. You know, I knew God was out and watching me. But that was not not a comforting thought because my relationship to the Lord was based on a negative relationship. I got saved every time an evangelist came to our church. I could feel the flames, smell the smoke of hell. You know, I, I got that but I never really understood how much God loved me. Until one night a few miles from here on a college campus when I'm crying out to God saying, God, I don't know what to do. I can tell you four or five times in my life where God spoke to me. Some of you are far more spiritual than me. God speaks to you every hour on the hour. I understand that. 
But I can tell you that was a moment in my life where God walked into a room while I'm praying and put his arms around me. And he said, son, I love you. And I'm committed to your future. Some of you may have were raised like I was. It means so much to me when God says, I delight in you. You're my child. I'm committed to you. Does anybody here believe God wants you to succeed? Does anybody here believes that God wants your life to be blessed? The Lord delights in us. Why would he want you to fail? You're his child. He loves you. He's committed to you. If God be for me, who can be against me? The Lord delights in us. Somebody say that with me. The Lord delights in us. The fourth thing he said to them in Numbers, the enemy is helpless before you. He's already been defeated. He's already been defeated. You see, the children of Israel had to cross over to a new land. There were giants in that land. But the Lord said, every place where the sole of your foot treads, I've already given that to you. Take what's yours. Take what belongs to you. It's yours. But you got to take it. you got to possess it. And so the Lord says, the enemy is helpless. He has already been defeated. The Bible says the, the devil goes about like a roaring lion. It did say he was one. It said he acts like one, but he's toothless. And we have Christians letting the devil gum them to death, you know. He's toothless. The enemy has already been defeated. You see, we're involved in a battle that's already been won. We're involved in a victory that's already been accomplished. We're involved in something where we already know how it ends. Now is the time. Come on, say that. We are able. The Lord delights in us. The enemy's helpless before us. One more thing. If you're going to possess tomorrow, you must have an eternal perspective. You must be willing to learn and grow personally. You must listen to what the Lord's saying, not what the skeptics say. And number four, you've got to get ready for a miracle. You see, a whole nation of people stood at a river Jordan. The Bible specifically says, I read it earlier to, today, the Bible said that the river Jordan was at flood stage. This is not a good time to cross over. This is not a good time to expand. This is not a good time to do that that you've always wanted to do. You know, you can find every reason in the world not to move forward. You can find every reason in the world to say, you know, I can't do that now. Well, you know what the culture is. You know what the climate is. You know, we got these elections going on. we got all this stuff happening. You know, this is not a good time. Well, I can tell you this was not a good time for the children of Israel to cross over the River Jordan. It's at flood stage. 
There's a time of the year when the river Jordan's like a babbling brook. You can almost cross over without hardly getting your feet wet. But the Lord says, I want you to cross now. Now. You see, we can form committees and study the crossing. We can do all of our calculations about the crossing, about how deep it is, and what's the current. But somewhere, sometime, somebody's got to get their feet wet. Somebody, sometime, has got to step in to that raging river. There are people in this room this morning that are standing as it were, at that River Jordan. It may be with your marriage. It may be with your finance. It may be with your children. I don't know what it is, but I know all of us face those kind of Jordan moments where we've got to make a decision. Do I trust God? Do I believe his word? Am I willing to step out in faith on what he is saying for me to do? Because the miracle doesn't happen on the shore. I said, the miracle doesn't happen until you step into the water. You see, they'd still be waiting for those waters to part. Unless the priest, the leadership, said, you know what? This is what God says. We know this timing is not right. We know this is not a good time to do this. But if God says it, we're going to believe and trust And so, see, for some of us, that's, that's a big deal right now. You know what that is in your life. Step into that raging river. And the Bible says when the priest put their feet into that raging river, it started to back up all the way the town called Adam, good place for it to go all the way back to Adam. And a new generation crossed over to a new day and a new opportunity. If you're going to see that God perform the miracle he wants to perform in your life in these days, you've got to get your feet wet. You've got to make that step of faith to say, yes, yes, God. Yes, God. Now, there's an interesting little story that goes along with this this morning. There's a man back in Egypt a long, long time ago who God marvelously used to take care of the people of God in a time of famine. His name was Joseph. And when Joseph was about to die back in Egypt. He said, don't you bury me here because I know that my God is a covenant-keeping God. I know that what he promised, he will fulfill. So Joseph's family, you know what they did? They they put him in a box, and over all those years, just became bones. And when that group of 
the children of Israel crossed over a Red Sea, they had a box of bones with them of an old man who said, I believe God. But a new generation now crossing over. Some of you have been around Calvary a long, long time. And you know God made promises way, way back. And there are those that are not even here today who have gone to, into heaven. But I want to tell you that when that new generation crossed over that River Jordan that day, they had with them the box of bones of an old man who said, I know that I know that I know that my God is a covenant-keeping God, and one day we're going to possess that land of promise. One day we're going to have what God has promised. Listen to me today, saints of God. The Lord is a covenant-keeping God. He is a God of promise. And this morning we stand on the threshold of the greatest moment and the greatest hour we've ever known as a church. This is it. I don't know how much time we got left. I got a suspicion because that's one of my spiritual gifts, the gift of suspicion. I got a suspicion we're running out of time. We're running out of time. But God has strategically placed your pastor and the leadership, and the people that sit in this room in this moment to have an eternal perspective, to, to not stall and get stopped personally, but keep learning and growing, to listen to what God's saying in these days. But at this moment, in this time, wherever you're at personally, to be willing to say, Lord, I'm stepping out by faith into that future. Can't do anything about the past, but I can sure do something about where I'm going now and be willing to step in to a circumstance and a situation in your own life that's different than anything you've ever known, but to believe as Joseph did. I know he's a covenant-keeping God and what he promised He's going to fulfill. Come on. Somebody believe that today. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? In these final moments this morning, I want to pray for people in the house today who would say, Ron, I'm here today. I've lost hope with some things in my own life about my tomorrows. Maybe you're here today and you really don't know Jesus in your life. You don't know him personally. I can tell you he loves you and he wants to touch your life and change it by his grace today. Maybe you're here and you've known Christ for a long, long time, but you're standing on the threshold of a time in your life, a barrier, a situation, a circumstance. You're standing on the edge of, of a raging river in your life today. And you need to step out by faith and trust that God is able to see you through that victory, the fulfillment of his promise. If you're in this room today and you're, you're in that situation at this moment, whether it has to do with your life, your business, your family, your relationships, you know what it is and God does. I want to pray for you in these final moments. And I'm going to ask those of you across this room who say, Ron, would you include me in that prayer? I need Jesus 
to give me the courage and the strength to step by faith into that tomorrow this morning. If that's you, would you just quietly stand where you are at? I'm going to pray for you right there. I'm going to pray for you right there. There's a, I just need God to do something in, that, in my life. Just, just right where you're at. I need to step into that tomorrow God has planned for me. Would you pray for me in these final moments that God would just do that work in my life? That's right. Wherever you're at, just quietly stand. That's me. That's me. I'm going to believe God for that miracle in my life today. Believing God for that touch today. That miracle in my life. That's right. God see, sees those of us as we stand in his presence in this moment. Could you agree with me, church? Let's believe together in these moments. Father, I thank you this morning for those that stand in your presence in this moment. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is faithful today to draw us to yourself. Lord, for those in this room today that are standing that need you to walk into their lives, change their lives by the power of your grace. I pray for the miracle of transformation to happen in their hearts in this moment. Lord, I pray for those that are standing today that know you but are standing at a River Jordan moment. I ask that your power and your presence would invade their hearts and their minds in this moment. Lord, give them the courage to step out by faith into that tomorrow you've planned and purposed for them. Lord, I thank you that you're a miracle-working God. As we step out in faith, even today, Lord, I thank you for the promise of your word. I thank that you are faithful, Lord, to do what you've promised to do. Lord, we believe for miracles to transpire today in the hearts and lives of people all over this room in this moment. We thank you for it, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, let's give God praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.